Welcome to Diversity and Inclusion On Air podcast. This podcast is a program of the Association of American Veterinary Medical Colleges Diversity Matters Initiative. The podcast explores various issues related to diversity and inclusion in the veterinary profession and provides the AAVMC an opportunity to offer ongoing diversity programming to our member institutions as well as all veterinary professionals. My name is Lisa Greenhill and I am the Senior Director for Institutional Research and Diversity at the AAVMC. I'm so excited. Today is the next to the last day of Black History Month, but we are um, joined today by three wonderful folks who are going to talk a bit about Black history and veterinary medicine. And without further ado, I'd like to do a brief, I'm going to shout out each person and then we will go into uh, individual introductions and dive into our questions for our show. So we are joined today by Dr. Ruby Perry, Dean at the Tuskegee University School of Veterinary Medicine. We are also joined by Dr. Willie Reed, the Dean at Purdue's College of Veterinary Medicine. And we are also joined by Dr. Paige Carmichael, Professor of Pathology. Yes. Yes. <laughs> at the University of Georgia, College of Veterinary Medicine in Athens, Georgia. So why don't we start with Dr. Perry? Why don't you uh, give us a little bit about your background and uh, then we'll go one by one. Welcome. I, I, okay, I am a Tuskegee graduate, 1977. I did my residency training at Michigan State University. Shout out for Michigan State. And I'm a board certified veterinary radiologist by discipline. And I've been the dean, uh, but first I was, a, I was at Michigan State on faculty for about 20 something years and, and then came to Tuskegee University as associate dean for academic affairs for about eight years and then stayed on as interim dean and now dean for about a year and a half. So that's a little bit about me. All right, go to uh, Dr. Carmichael. Sure. Um, can you hear me? We can hear you. Great. So my name is Paige Carmichael. And as Lisa said, I am a professor of pathology. I am the graduate of the best class at Tuskegee University, the class of 1987. And after graduating, I did a PhD in residency in pathology at the University of Georgia and stayed on here as faculty, started faculty in 1997. And ended up um, trying a an eight year stint as an administrator as the associate dean for academic affairs before returning to faculty in two thousand and sixteen. All right, thank you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? First of all, let me tell you how honored I am to be part of today's program, especially to join with my. Uh, colleagues, uh, Drs. Perry and, and Carmichael. So thank you for the invitation. Um, well, I'm a 1978 uh, graduate of Tuskegee uh, University. Uh, after I finished, uh, I came to Purdue, uh, pursued a PhD in, in veterinary pathology, uh, stayed on the faculty here for a number of years. Uh, then I left and went to Michigan State University where I served as director of their veterinary diagnostic uh, laboratory and was head of their pathobiology uh, department. Came back to uh, Purdue in 2007 as, as dean of the, of the college. And uh, as I said, I'm a pathologist, uh, board certified in pathology, and also board certified in poultry medicine. Oh, wow, wonderful. I learned something new already. I didn't know that there was a poultry medicine part of your story. <laughs> college of Poultry Veterinarians. Yes. Very cool. So, um, so the first question that I um, would like to pose to each of you is um, each of you are graduates of Tuskegee, um, which is the nation's only historically black college or university with a veterinary school. So I'm intrigued and would love to hear a little bit from each of you about your time there and how your experience at Tuskegee shaped your, your career. So, um, uh, Dr. Carmichael, why don't we start with you? Sure. So... I would say that one of the things that Tuskegee did for me, and this is not just the medical school, but the undergraduate program that I also went to, is um, 
I think it gave me a better sense of self and who I was and where I'd come from, something which I really did not have previously. I think it also gave me a great sense of independence uh, at Tuskegee, part because it's a private school and in part because it is the only HBCU as a veterinary school. We probably did not have as many um, resources from the state as many other veterinary schools had. And as a result, we learned to be very creative with what we did have and very, very self-sufficient. While other schools had many, many technicians and lots of faculty in different um, specialties, we had a smaller group of very dedicated faculty and our seniors, when we went into the clinic, were actually teaching the juniors how to do procedures. And as anyone knows who's into education, the best way to learn something is to teach it to somebody else. And as a result, we ended up being very, very good practitioners and self-sufficient veterinarians when we graduated. So um, Dean Reed, and then we'll, we'll final, uh, we'll round that question up with Dean Perry as, as current Dean. Well, just about everything that uh, Dr. Carmichael said, uh, you, I could say the same thing. Uh, Tuskegee uh, was a place where I did my, my pre-vet work and my, and my veterinary work uh, studies. And when I came to Tuskegee, Alabama as a 17-year-old out of, out of high school, um, I saw things I'd never seen in my life. I grew up uh, in the segregated South in Alabama, segregated uh, high school, where we were not given the, the best uh, facilities, we're not given the best uh, instruments, not the best setting to learn. And I had only, in my career, in my life, uh, seen one veterinarian, um, and not never an African-American veterinarian. And so I came to Tuskegee, it was this wonderful uh, place where I got a chance to see uh, black professionals in every walk of life, black physicians, black veterinarians, black attorneys, black pharmacists. And that was um, a time that allowed me to really um, see that I could really be anything that I wanted to be. And that veterinary medicine was something that I really could um, achieve because so all these wonderful role models all around me each and every day, not just on campus, but throughout the, the veterinary, uh, I mean, the community, the Tuskegee community. And so Tuskegee really helped me to uh, develop uh, dreams that I thought I would never have and to help me uh, down the path of fulfilling dreams that would ultimately uh, come true. And Dr. Perry, I'm just going to, in addition to that, number one is that Tuskegee provided opportunities for advancement that I would not have been able to achieve any place else. Number two, it gave me the confidence to achieve and excel because we were taught that you may have only one opportunity only, so you got to make that work. And then number three, a sense of independency. So you, you've got to take what you learned, you got to build on that. And independently, you've got to make it work. So I thank Tuskegee for those those attributes that were instilled in in all of us uh, when we graduated. That's in addition to what Paige said, and in addition to what Willie said as well. Growing up in a segregated South in Mississippi, and having to do go through desegregation, uh, also uh, helped and assisted with the the achievements that we achieved accomplished after we graduated. So, um, Dean Perry, could you tell us a little bit about the history of Tuskegee? Well, Tuskegee University was founded in 1945, and we it's a legacy uh, university, and at that time, uh, founded by um, Frederick, Frederick Douglass, um, which uh, Frederick Douglass Patterson, which was the third president and actually the second dean, third dean of the veterinary school at that time, we're now college. So in that history and legacy of the school, 
that was Tuskegee was the only university at that time that that educated African Americans to be veterinarians. And in that legacy and the mission, we continue that for students that might not have an opportunity anyplace else that we prepare them now as career-ready veterinarians to go into any part of the veterinary profession. Great. So um, both, all of you kind of talk a little bit about the importance of seeing kind of um, what we would call racial mirrors and role, racial role models um, as professionals at Tuskegee. Um, so, and how maybe that time and your time at Tuskegee kind of was really seminal in, in you initially seeing some of these individuals. So I'm kind of curious from each of you, um, who have been some of your really kind of important um, veterinary role models um, along the way? And, and we'll start with uh, Dean Perry. The very first role model that I can think of that I would like to offer is Dr. Roland Powell, who's actually a Tuskegee grad and a veterinarian. But, because before that, I wanted to be a mathematician. I didn't want to be a veterinarian. I wanted to be a mathematician. And that was my career goal. That's another thing is that when your journey takes you in different directions, you have to grasp it, take a hold of it, because that might be where you need to go. So I, to this day, I'm glad I'm not a mathematician. Um, and so I worked with him as um, a kennel person. And that's when I found my new love for the profession and how he, as a compassionate veterinarian, very smart, knowledgeable, compassionate, all of those attributes about uh, just a veterinary profession was what he exhibited. And so that caused me to change my major to biology. And then from there, the rest is history. And so I, I applied to Tuskegee and was accepted. And then um, my second mentor is Dr. Ellis Hall, who is the first African-American male, African-American board certified radiologist. And he taught all, he taught Paige, he taught, no, I taught Paige, but Dr. Hall taught you, Willie. He sure did. Yes, he did. And he's still, he's still with us and he still comes to visit the school. He's in the Tuskegee community. So Dr. Hall, when I took radiology, uh, and for those persons interested in radiology in your own discipline, I didn't want to be a radiologist. I wanted to be a surgeon. <laughs> and so that was another journey. And again, when journeys uh, present to you, you have to take it, grasp them, and make the best out of it. And so he then, oh my gosh, who could teach physics? And you could sit there in awe. Radiation physics. And you sit there in awe and go, oh my gosh, this is such a wonderful field. And with that, he he that mentorship uh, moved me into the the into veterinary radiology. So those are my two key. There are others, but those are the key in my early development years. Dr. Carmichael. Okay, so actually, two of my role models are right here on the program with me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that would be me. <laughs> talked about Dr. Hall being the first um, African-American board certified radiology. What she did not mention that she was the first female African-American board certified radiologist. And seeing someone like her being able to su succeed at that level when I went in with the expectation of going into to, uh, practice, was something that um, really got me thinking about going on to doing further uh, training after my veterinary um, degree was awarded. Um, also, Dr. Willie Reed, uh, he was someone that was legend when uh, I was in vet school. And the fact that he would come back every year to our Tuskegee Annual Symposium to divulge his information with a lot of humor, I might add. Other, uh, with other veterinary pathologists such as Dr. Harold Davis and, um, and oh my goodness, I, I can think of so many. That was one of the things that triggered my interest in pathology and I would be remiss if I didn't add that my uncle and aunt, Dr. Um, Aubrey Watkins and Dr. Hallie Watkins were both um, 
Tuskegee alums, both veterinarians, and it was watching them and working with them in their practice that um, made me realize that being a veterinarian was not just something that as a child, you say that because you like animals, but really got me to take an interest in the medicine part of it as well. And, and I would say that Ruby, I wanted to be a surgeon too. What I would watch, <laughs> I would watch and I thought that was so, so cool. And then the first time I hit a major bleeder, I knew that that was not a I don't think that I could have stood up those long hours as a surgeon. I, I, I'm pretty sure I would have had back problems. Oh, my. <laughs> so, uh, Dean Reed, the man, the legend. <laughs> Let me just say that I, I never wanted to be a surgeon. <laughs> we, we, want to uh, be. we know why. <laughs> I learned that with pathology, it didn't matter what you, if you cut it, you could just stick it back together. You know, I've had so many uh, role models, it's hard to even to, to begin. But, you know, early on, uh, when I was in high school, uh, a vocational agricultural teacher, my um was a role model and my father they both encouraged me to consider veterinary medicine while i love animals i love science i was not an individual who from uh age five or six who wanted to be a veterinarian it was later in high school that i decided that i wanted to pursue veterinary medicine as opposed to uh, to, to medicine and then when i got to tuskegee and was admitted to the vet school i was just in awe of the the wonderful professors that we had, starting right from the beginning, veterinary uh, anatomy, uh, histology, these were just outstanding, outstanding uh, uh, faculty. And, and in the second year of, of vet schools, when I discovered pathology and uh, Dr. Thomas Graham, a professor of pathology, Dr. Basil McKenzie, uh, was just two great role models that in, inspired me to, uh, to pursue pathology and then a Tuskegee graduate, uh, uh, Dr. Dick Hughes, who at the time was working for the uh, the old Upjohn Company in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and uh, spending a, a summer there with, with him, and uh, he mentored me and 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 really uh, showed me how to pursue the the dream of becoming a, a pathologist if I wanted to, and and actually introduced me to uh, people at here 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 at Purdue and and uh, kind of pushed me in this direction to pursue my PhD in pathology at, at Purdue. And then Dr. Uh, uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Dr. Bray, Dr. Eddie Bray was a, a strong role model. In fact, he knew that I wanted to study pathology and even though he was a large animal internal medicine specialist, he never tried to steer me in that direction, but only tried to help me uh, pursue my, my dream of becoming a pathologist. In fact, was the one who brought the summer opportunity to my attention at the Upjohn Company. And without that summer um, opportunity, I'm not sure which uh, direction my career would have uh, would have followed. But there are just so many wonderful role models from previous Dean T.S. Williams at, at mm -hmm. uh, Tuskegee, Dr. Walter uh, Bowie. Uh, these these people are, were legends. I mean, they the, the, what they had to endure, the perseverance to get where they were was just these these stories each one of them are just incredible stories and i was just fascinated in hearing them talk about um, the uh, experiences they had the difficulties the challenges of starting a new veterinary school at, at tuskegee and all the cars were dealt against them but yet still they uh they, they they were able to get through it and make it happen and to provide these opportunities for um, individuals like myself if I could add to that, Lisa. Absolutely. And, and Willie, I'm glad you mentioned T.S. Williams. I'm, I remember the little bit, the bit of advice that Dr. T.S. Williams told me when I started my leadership journey. He said, whatever you do, make a decision, right or wrong, make a decision. And that, that has been one of the um, things that I use in part in my leadership is that if you make the wrong decision at that time, but make it well informed, 
you've done the research, you make a well-informed decision, but make a decision. Don't be going back and forth, make a, make a decision. So I'm glad you brought his name up, uh, which he also impacted my leadership uh, career as well. Yeah. So um, the next question that we have um, speaks to kind of both enrollment, well, recruitment and enrollment. Um, and we do have a question um, from uh, a viewer that kind of gets into this recruiting piece. But um, throughout the years, um, enrollment of African-American and Black students has stagnated right around nationally around um, about two and a half percent or so. Um, we have seen increases, um, particularly this year, in the, the percentage of um, black students who are applying to veterinary school, but we haven't quite seen um, those numbers go up nationally in terms of enrolled students. And I'd really kind of like to see um, you all kind of talk a little bit, even just amongst yourselves, about why you think that is. Um, why aren't more students, um, black students and, and African-American students interested in veterinary medicine or why aren't they applying? Well, first of all, I think we have, uh, well, obviously the pool of, of black males has really plummeted. And that, I think that partly uh, is a reason why overall enrollment is down. Um, and then the next question is, why, why is that the case? And if you just look at higher education in general, you see where um, uh, the number of black males entering college is just not um, where it should be uh, given the size of, of the population. And I think we all know about some of the societal issues that uh, account account for that. Uh, and, 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 and students are just not, uh, you know, they're not seeing enough uh, role models. Uh, they, they, they don't um, have, uh, positive contacts uh, with the profession. And then, of course, uh, the cost of a veterinary medical education is, is quite, uh, quite high these days. And so demonstrating to students that that's, uh, that's not insurmountable and that a lot of uh, African-American students are, you know, really want to uh, serve the community. And then we need to do a better job of uh, demonstrating to them how they can they can give back because I find so many of them would, would like to do that. You know, in addition to that, Willie, there the it's it's a also a funding issue as well with recruitment and starting programs and awareness of the veterinary profession to students in K through twelve, especially in the maybe K through six or even K through five as a pipeline and increase awareness for the profession in that because there are, there are many African-American veterinarians that it's amazing that sometimes you'd be in a conversation with people and they've never seen one. Uh, and, and so we know that there has to be an increase in, in awareness that, that there are African-American veterinarians that may be cluster in cluster groups of pockets but they need to be more stem programs focused on and, increasing the number of veterinarians in the profession the other thing that i was going to say is that i also think that we need and by we profession in general and um aavmc avma in particular need to, to to keep on plugging at making sure people understand the entire breadth of our profession. It's amazing to me what a poor job we seem to be doing in getting the message over to a population uh, that might be interested in our profession, that there are many, many avenues other than clinical practice that right. can go into. And it's not for the want of trying. I know that AAVMC and AVMA have been doing this. You just have to go and look on the websites, come to the conferences, and you'll see we talk about it. But I think we end up talking about it together, and that's not to the benefit of it, which is the reason I'm glad that podcasts such as these are happening, because we can talk about ourselves as radiologists and pathologists. We can talk about ourselves working at, at the Center for Disease um, uh, CDC, Center for Disease Cure and um, Prevention. We can talk about the fact that we work at, um, in, at 
Coca-Cola we work with governmental agencies and as the and in um, food supply and all the things that we do in public health that people just aren't aware. I promise you, there are people who, because I'm still at a university, keep asking me when I'm going to graduate and um, start and open my own practice. And I keep telling them, I'm way past that stage right now. Academic veterinary medicine is what I do. Well, yeah, that's right, Paige. I, I uh, you know, talking to parents and students, sometimes they will ask me, well, where are the veterinary jobs? And what I like to tell them, they're literally all over the world. If you can conceive it, you can probably do it as a veterinarian. And you can work for entities like the, the World, World, World Bank, the World Organization for Animal Health in, in Paris, you can work for the U.S. Department of Agriculture and literally, literally travel uh, the globe. Uh, you can work for international uh, animal uh, you know, genetics companies or feed companies or pharmaceutical companies. There are just so many, many uh, jobs that uh, veterinarians can do. But at the same time, we have to, I think, educate the colleges better with their admissions policies. But we still... Uh, I think select students for private practice. Uh, we put obstacles in front of students, uh, sometimes requiring you know hundreds of hours of veterinary experience and animal experience. You know, you grow up in uh, uh, inner city. Uh, it is hard, uh, particularly for students of color, to be able to volunteer or work in veterinary practice or to have these kinds of experiences that many of the schools. Uh, uh, have uh, that they're requiring. You know, I look at my own career. I grew up uh, in Alabama. I grew up in a county uh, where there was only one veterinarian. Uh, I saw him once in my whole lifetime. And so that was the limit of my uh, veterinary experiences. So if I was measured uh, only basis of how much veterinary experience as to whether or not I would be admitted to veterinary school, I wouldn't be sitting here today. Uh, but there's so many paths that we 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 can follow as uh, veterinarians, and as you said, Paige, we have to get the word out more uh, strongly now than ever before to let students know of all the things that you can do besides uh, clinical practice, which is, you know, what most students I think uh, think of veterinary medicine when you when you uh, talk to them about the profession. Sure. In addition to that, you know, the veterinary schools could also, and, and many of them are doing this already. They have those summer summer programs for students to participate in, especially in academic institutions. They can actually see veterinarians engaged in different aspects of the profession. And so Tuskegee has a Vet Step One, Vet, vet Step Two programs, <clears throat> two programs for the summer that we, we look at students from grades six to eight and then grades 10 through 12. So that uh, increases the, the awareness and opportunities for those students to, to look at veterinary, the veterinary profession as, an, as a, the career for them if they are pursuing the science and health profession. Absolutely. So um, I want to know what you all think are some of the big issues um, and possibly some of the solutions for um, um, recruiting those those students certainly we know that there is a need for um, we know that there's a need for role modeling we know that there's some barriers there um, in the um, admissions uh, process um, like the requirements of the hours um, and there's certainly a need for um, uh, summer exposure programs. I know that that Purdue has a program, I think it's called ARC, um, that you all run during the summer for students to kind of get an opportunity to come on campus and take a um, look around, get their, their hands and feet wet. Um, and I know that Tuskegee has long had some some programs, the VetStep programs as well with the Center of Excellence there. And, and certainly there have been things that have been going on at UGA as well. But what are some other things I think that we can really do even at the national level concretely to kind of recruit more African-American students as well as more um, students of color in general into veterinary medicine? Okay, so I know this but and I know that some people have done this before, but I remember when the nursing 
profession was struggling for sales. And the nursing profession took this on, took the bull by the horns and put on some public service announcements that played on regular vision of this male nurse standing there and this little jingle that well, that just stayed in your head um, that said, become a nurse and solve the problem. And that became very ingrained period over and over again. I realized that that is a very expensive step, but that's the kind of giant step we have to make if we want to, if, if we're serious at really getting our name out there. Veterinarian who is working with communities of color in serving um, some social issue that's involved with the human animal bond. And you see that you will get a complete um, change of, of view of what our profession is all is all about. It's just making it happen. Um, it's it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, some of you know that um, I um, worked for <laughs> nurses for a while, um, and in fact, uh, most of those ads were corporately funded. <laughs> hint, 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 hint. <laughs> it's not too subtle, right? Um, and actually, the last round of them that were the the Be a Nurse campaign was sponsored by Johnson and Johnson, actually, and um, and so I do think that it's really important that people see um, see these these folks on TV. Um, we we posted earlier, I think last week. Um, on our Facebook page, the um, the veterinarians, the Tuskegee grads who opened up the practice, who do are on the, the vet life, yes, on Animal Planet, um, and you know that that by itself has really just um, imp improved and in increased the visibility of um, Black veterinarians um, owning and operating um, a practice, you know. So those types of things are really important. Um, other suggestions, particularly uh, from our, our deans on the line here? No, well, I think Paige hit the, hit the nail right on the head. It, we have to be, it's going to take a lot of effort and spend to uh, cost money. And we have to uh, just accept that. And, and if we're serious about it, we're going to have to find the resources to do it. But I know here at, at Purdue, we, we spend more time more of our resources on uh, P through 12 programs than ever before. So we are starting at every level, um, not just on recruit minority students, but um, kids uh, in general to, to veterinary medicine. And we make sure that every single program that we have uh, is, is, a diver is diverse in its composition uh, with you know particular focus on diversity, but you know, we are, uh, we have programs in um, elementary school where we, we work with some of the local uh, community centers here. Uh, we have uh, science uh, partnership grants from uh, NIH where we're turning young people on to science and hopefully of many, many of them to, to veterinary medicine, but with a, a special emphasis on uh, diversity and recruiting underrepresented students into the profession. So I think we have to hit it from uh, multiple uh, avenues, and I can recall uh, hearing uh, a few uh, Tuskegee graduates about my vintage who uh, remember recalling seeing articles about uh, veterinarians in Ebony magazine. That had a big impact on them, and that was a career they had never considered until they opened up this magazine and they saw people uh, who looked like them Mm -hmm. practicing a profession that they didn't know much about mm -hmm. but that inspired them to to really pursue it and in, right. addition, in addition to that lisa and, and the comments that Paige and and um willie made is that this is an opportunity for the veterinary medical associations the vmas to get involved with increasing awareness public awareness for the veterinary profession also so maybe some of their programs that they can incorporate in terms of diversity uh, at the VMA level, the grassroots level as well. Well, that's, that's, that's an excellent point, Ruby. I think uh, 
you know, schools cannot just, we can't do this by ourselves. No. We need help. Think about, you know, there are over, you know, 30,000, about 30,000 veterinary practices in this country. And, you know, what if we had, uh, you know, a, a fourth of them with major effort reaching out into the community, providing opportunities for uh, students to uh, volunteer or maybe giving them jobs so they can become exposed to the profession. And then other ways, uh, you know, getting them into other aspects of the profession. So that's how we, that's how we uh, change the uh, mm -hmm. dynamic. We got to have, we have more people uh, at the table uh, helping. We just, the 30 schools and ABMC, we just cannot do it alone. We need, mm -hmm. ABMA needs to play a, a bigger role. And one of the ways I am, I am convinced that we can do this is by being very active in partnering with our uh, practitioner uh, companions, because I think that number one, they have to realize that with the expanding amount of information that we're giving to students, that the first couple of years in their in their new practices can be considered um, part of their training. I also think that if we something really uh, tangible to reward those practitioners that take time out of their busy schedule to mentor and learn how to successfully mentor young people. And as I said, Willie, not just young people of color, but um, young people who are really passionate about doing a degree in veterinary medicine, uh, if they could get some kind of recognition in national uh, publications as to what they're doing for them, such as veterinary mentors of the of, of 2017, and, and have people submit uh, warm, feel-good stories about um, people who have actually gone out of their way to take the time to help someone pathfind into a field into the field of veterinary really helpful. Mm -hmm. So we have a couple of questions um, from the uh, hinterlands here. So, um, and actually, uh, Dean Perry, I will pose um, this question to you. Um, so as we know, most of the African-American veterinarians in the United States have um, graduated, are graduates of Tuskegee. And we do know that this is a profession that tends to um, kind of operate generationally. We see a lot of veterinarians <laughs> have kids and then their kids become veterinarians. Do you see a lot of your um, alums, uh, I guess your alums' kids come back and, and um, apply to to vet school at Tuskegee and are um you know and and if they choose not to come to Tuskegee are their alumni parents disappointed <laughs> well well actually I I am so glad you asked that question Lisa <laughs> because um and I'm gonna I'm, I am going to say his name Dr um Dr Markham who sent me a text message because his daughter interviewed <laughs> Uh, at Tuskegee, so that so the I can't give you the numbers, but I do know that it is it is strong. The legacy at Tuskegee is strong because they had such a great experience. And when we say the Tuskegee family, we really um, we, we really honor that and acknowledge that and have compassion passion for Tuskegee family. So if they had a good experience, and then they want their children to come. So Todd is one example of that, that he just texted me just last week and I could not <laughs> meet with him. Uh, so what he did, I said, send me a selfie, send me a selfie. So <laughs> he and his daughter took a picture with me on the, on the wall and it, it was just cute. So, but, and then what I did was I have a legacy page in my vet perspective that go out to alumni and I, and, and we, I'm trying to capture all of those veterinarians who graduated from Tuskegee who have children, grandchildren who have come through and I'm, I'm trying to capture them and their stories so that we can start that history. So that the answer is yes, we have a really strong legacy at Tuskegee University and uh, in the College of Veterinary Medicine 
And so we want to continue, continue that, yes. I, I, I can just think of a few, such as the Hodges dynasty and the Hall dynasty. Yes. <laughs> Dynasties, wow. <laughs> We're featuring Dr. Hall next month, by the way, Paige. Really? <laughs> we have done the Hodges, the Hodge uh, clan, the father, the two sons, and the Hardys, we just the featured Hardys. them. It's like six of them. <laughs> so um, in the interest of uh, healthy competition, <laughs> uh, Dean Reed, how hard are you recruiting those second generation and third generation veterinary, veterinary students <laughs> to come to Purdue? <laughs> Are recruiting the doors are wide open. <laughs> we think that they would have a, a wonderful experience here at Purdue, a wonderful support system. Um, uh, and so, and Dr. Perry knows that. She knows that. Uh, you know, I love you, Willie. Wherever there are good students, uh, <laughs> you'll find us <laughs> looking. And we, uh, we actually, as I can, as I can recall now, we have the son of a Tuskegee graduate, Tuskegee veterinarian, is a first year student here at Purdue this year. Well, I, I have to say, um, in uh, interest, uh, you know, in the interest of full disclosure, we have a wonderful uh, Tuskegee, former Tuskegee undergrad, um, who is now matriculating at Purdue um, in the vets in the College of Veterinary Medicine, William Willis. He is our student producer on uh, who is behind the scenes on this show today producing. So so um, so it's possible to go from one to the other and be very happy with all of your experience. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Thank you. So we are coming to um, the last few minutes of the show, and I wanted to ask um, uh, Dr. Reed and uh, Dr. Carmichael um, to tell us about the, uh, the, I guess, the first black graduates of your, of I guess, Purdue and uh, UGA. So, well, uh, Purdue started. Uh, we admitted our first class in, in 1959, and the first graduates graduated in 63. Uh, it wasn't until uh, 1971 that we graduated our first uh, African American uh, veterinarian. His name was William uh, Dunn. So that was in 1971. And then two years later, we graduated our first uh, uh, female African American uh, graduate Dr. Doris Hughes. And in fact, uh, Doris uh, started out at Tuskegee and she actually transferred to Purdue. Oh. Purdue counter. <laughs> again, 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 Willie, again, there's that Tuskegee thread. She, she graduated, I mean, she, she graduated from Purdue and transferred because her husband uh, was a couple years ahead of her and he was here doing his graduate work. In, in pathology and got his PhD in, in pathology, I think around, I don't know, 75 or 76, somewhere near Dr. Richard Hughes. So she, she followed him and uh, they both had a wonderful career. She became, I think, uh, maybe second or third uh, board certified, African-American board certified pathologist uh, in, in the country. So, uh, so those were our first two Two graduates, and, and it's too bad that it took from 1963 uh, to 1971 before we graduated mm -hmm. our first uh, uh, veterinarian of color. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Carmichael? So in our case, just like at Purdue, our first graduates were um, in 1971. Well, I, I'm sorry, our first. American students matriculated in 1971. They graduated in 1974. Um, and uh, it, there were actually two in that class uh, that both graduated the same year. And they uh, are both practitioners right here in Georgia. Uh, we see one of them, Dr. Ellis Hall, quite a lot. Um, and I have unfortunately not really gotten to know um, our other first graduate. It was 
a while before we graduated a female veterinarian, and it's an African-American female veterinarian. And it was kind of interesting that and it took a little while for us to even, I had to walk down the hallways and look at faces of the pictures on the wall. <laughs> I had to do for this project make, make sure that it's something that you can click on our website and just find. Uh, but um, also, she also went on to do private practice as well, uh, it, but not in Georgia. All right. Okay. I just think I don't know most people just they don't understand or they have not read the history to know that uh, it was very challenging for uh, African-Americans to pursue veterinary medicine, especially uh, in, in the South. Yeah. And uh, schools like uh, Kansas State, Cornell, University of uh, Pennsylvania deserve a lot of credit because uh, they graduated, uh, uh, you know, the veterinarians, the, mm -hmm. the African-American veterinarians who started Tuskegee. Tuskegee. They populate, you know, graduates from those schools populated uh, the first faculty, and so they um, deserve tremendous credit for that. When I was looking to go to uh, vet school, people would ask me, "Well, why uh, why didn't you apply to uh, to Auburn?" Well, the records that I have seen suggest that from 1949 to 1991, Auburn had uh, one black veterinarian. So the odds of me, you know, going there in those days were just not not very good. And in fact, uh, when Tuskegee started uh, with the segregated South, it was illegal for Tuskegee to even accept a white student in the, in the early days. And it wasn't until uh, 1965 that Tuskegee, um, I think, graduated, um, accepted his first white uh, student. And so that segregated South just destroyed so many dreams of people. Mm. Thankfully, many those days are, are behind us in many respects. But I think it's important for for um, our viewers and listeners to understand that that um, you know, as much as we like to think that that's kind of ancient history, it's it's not. Um, it's it's still in many of our lifetimes, right? And um, that that the legacy of um, the Jim Crow South um, continues to persist. Um, there's some, some uh, sad but good research out there about the legacy of how many dreams have been killed, um, unfortunately, and, and how what the limitations around education were um, in, in, um, in the South as recently as, as the 90s. So. Well, that, that is so, so uh, true. And, you know, as you know, I'm from Alabama, and I remember uh, in my class, as far as I can recall, of a class of around, I think we have 45, uh, and there were only five or six people from, from Alabama. So Tuskegee actually served the whole nation. So people were coming from many states throughout the U.S. Uh, they were coming from some of the Caribbean islands. Uh, they were coming from African countries. So. Tuskegee uh, was really uh, an international school, whereas Auburn played its role. Auburn, most of the, a lot of the graduates from Auburn are from Alabama, and they returned home to set up practices and uh, pursue their careers. But Tuskegee graduates left Tuskegee and literally went all over the world to, uh, to work. Tuskegee continues its legacy and its mission, which is just that, is we are the forefront of educating students of color are graduates of color into the veterinary profession. And we, we stand on that in particular African-Americans because that's what the, the pioneers and the trailblazers had in their vision from the very beginning. And so we wanna maintain that and hold on to that um, uh, with passion. And so we continue to do that. And doing that in the uh, most diverse uh, environment of any veterinary school is Tuskegee's veterinary college is the most diverse of any of the 30 colleges in this country. Indeed it is. 
So I would like to uh, wrap up our show. Thank you to each of you, uh, Drs. Perry, Reed, and Carmichael for joining us. This has been a great conversation. If you are interested in learning more about Black history and veterinary medicine, please be uh, be sure to visit the uh, Diversity and Inclusion on Air Facebook page where I've been posting um, lots of great articles about Black history um, and um, great pictures and links and such, including um, our wonderful guest here, Dr. Ruby Perry, who's the first African-American woman to lead a veterinary school in the US. Um, and in fact, my post about her <laughs> has been our most popular post of all time on, oh, wow. on our Facebook page, currently Thank having you. reached 3,300 individuals. It's been shared and shared and shared. And just in case you were wondering, yes, Toast Tuskegee alums love their institution because they have been sharing that picture That's <laughs> every day since it was posted last week. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> You know, by the way, uh, Lisa, you know, I talk Paige Carmichael uh, <laughs> and, and Willie Reed was my, was my junior. I was, I was his senior. So we're pretty well connected. Well, just, you got to be careful there, Ruby. You just tell everybody that you're older than we are. That's well, I, 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 you know what? I, I, I age with grace. Can't you see? I age with grace. Can't you see? So Paige and I are just juniors to you. You know? <laughs> episode of Diversity and Inclusion on air from AAVMC. We will be back in a few weeks with wonderful interviews and clips from AAVMC's Iverson Bell Symposium. We'll be featuring uh, Dr. Alan Kennedy, our Iverson Bell award, uh, awardee this year, um, along with uh, Ms. Erin Black, soon to be Dr. Erin Black from Texas A&M. She is our Patricia Lowry scholarship uh, uh, winner this year. And so I'll be doing some interviews with them so be sure to log on and check us out in the meantime we will wish you adieu thank you so much for each of you for joining us and if you have additional questions please don't hesitate to send them to diversity matters at aavmc.org or post them on our facebook page thank you thank, thank you. you thank you we enjoyed it <laughs> enjoyed it yep.